we're in a sermon series looking at the book of Romans. In conjunction with this, we are just reading through the Old Testament book of Jonah. And so Steph will read from Jonah 2 and then Steve from Romans 1. Uh, You'll find Jonah chapter 2 on uh, page 654 of the Pew Bibles. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The second reading is from Romans. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17, and it starts on page 795. It's Romans 1, starting at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have among the other Gentiles." I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is rich from first to last, just as it is written The righteous will live by faith. With uh, Romans chapter 1, if you were with us last week, I hope you remember that phrase, it's not who you are, but whose you are. That was last week, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. Are you known by God and loved by God? That's where your identity comes from. So I want to tackle from Romans chapter 1 a couple of dangers I think are in the church. Not just our church, but in lots of churches. 
Uh, one of them is, is apathy. By apathy, I mean that we just can't be bothered to share our faith and talk about Jesus. Uh, we come to church each week and we sing about Jesus and we maybe go to connect group and read the Bible and we, we love Jesus. And there's lots of people in our lives who we love. Family, friends, work colleagues, even a spouse. And they don't know Jesus. And yet we're too lazy, apathetic, to actually sit down with them and talk about the person that we love most. That's Jesus Christ. I know it's hard, but we need to keep persevering in talking about Jesus. Uh, the second danger is, I guess the best word I could, I could come up with was egotism. Where churches are, are so focused on on self, on the empire, on the church. It's all about them, and it's lost its focus on Jesus. I find the world of Twitter and Facebook fascinating. Uh, The number of Christian pastors who are constantly tweeting about how busy they are, how many sermons they've preached, who they're having lunch with, where they're flying to next. And I want to scream, I don't really care. Tell me about Jesus. Less about yourself. More about Jesus. Or maybe you see it here in Church by the Bridge where we hear of another church plant down the road and, and they're thriving. And part of us is slightly jealous because it's not us. I don't want to say I don't really care. If they're thriving, good on them. It's about Jesus, not about us. Or you hear another church are doing great mission, great evangelism. We want to say, praise God for that. Not about us. All about Jesus. See, underline those two issues of apathy and, and egotism, I think is a deeper issue, and that is losing our centrality of Christ, losing our focus on Jesus. Because if your life was all about Jesus and his gospel, we couldn't be apathetic. And if your life was all about Jesus and his gospel, then we would not be egotistic. It would all be about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in these verses, he just shows us that his whole life, his whole attitude, his whole demeanor is all about Jesus and his gospel. Please remember that that Paul is a very influential man. He, he has planted churches all over Asia Minor, in Thessalonica, in Ephesus, in Corinth. And, and if he was this ambitious, egotistic pastor, he would want to plant a church in Rome because that is the, the big city of the day. But he hasn't, and he doesn't care. All he cares about is that the Roman Christians know Jesus and love Jesus. Jesus. He says that in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, first, he never gets on to a second, but first, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Even that phrase, it, it, it strips you of your egotism and apathy. It's totally humbling. I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, because it's only through Christ you can access God. You're not worthy to, but you're welcome because of Jesus. 
I thank my God for all of you, you Christians. He's thanking God for people he's never met in a church that he didn't plant, but he loves them because they love Jesus. We're going to learn two lessons from Paul tonight. Here's the first one. Paul had a compulsion, a compulsion to preach the gospel. When I use that word preach, don't just think of the pastor. Don't just think of the person who stands at the front and opens the Bible and preaches. By the word preach, I mean herald and proclaim and just talk about Jesus and his gospel in the everyday. That compulsion, that desire just to keep talking about Jesus. You see that in verse 9. He says, God whom I serve with my whole heart in heralding the gospel of his son. My whole heart, my whole might, my whole being is about talking about Jesus. Not about me, but about Jesus. The gospel of his son, the good news of his son, that his son offers life to guilty sinners, that his son offers hope and eternal life to those who trust in him. That is Paul's passion. The problem with that word passion is it's easy to say, ah, oh, that was his passion, but it's not my passion. It's not just Paul's passion to preach Jesus, it's actually an obligation. You've got to understand this. Look at verse 14. Paul says, I am obligated. Literally, I'm a debtor. That's why he's compelled to talk about Jesus, because he's in some sort of debt. Let's think about the ways you get into debt. I reckon there are two ways you can get into debt. Here's the first way. If you borrowed $1,000 off me, then you're in my debt for $1,000. You've taken something that is mine, you've borrowed it, and, and you're my debtor. The second way you can get into debt is if there's a third party involved. So somebody gives me $1,000 to give to you. It's not mine. Somebody's given it to me to pass on to you. Now, if I decide to, to hold on to that, it doesn't belong to me, then I'm still in your debt because it's your money, but I'm holding on to it. Do you get it? That's the sense of debt. That's the, the, the sense that Paul is using here. He hasn't borrowed anything from anyone. God has just entrusted Paul with this gospel and that gospel needs to be given to other people. It's like he's saying, when I received the gospel of grace, I became a debtor. I became a debtor to other people. Do you spot that in verse 14? He, he's not in debt to God. I'm obligated. I'm a debtor not to God. That's really important because he's not trying to repay God. Otherwise, the gospel's not grace. If, if he had to repay God in some way by passing on this message, the gospel wouldn't be grace. It's not a free gift. He is obligated. He's in debt who to? To Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish, to the whole world. He's kind of saying, when I met Jesus and when I understood the gospel, when I received that gospel of grace, I was kind of bound to pass it on to other people. God gave it to me, not to hold on to, but to pass on to other people. 
someone has said, uh, the obligation to him who died produces an obligation to those for whom he died. And there may be people in your family for whom Christ died. Some of the elect, God's chosen ones who do not yet know Jesus. And just as Paul had no liberty to keep that gospel to himself, neither do we. We're obliged to pass it on. It's not just he felt obliged, according to verse 15, he felt this eagerness, this desire. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Do you get the, what drives this man? He just loves Jesus so much, he feels compelled to keep talking about Jesus every opportunity. And you might say, well, if he felt this obligation, he felt this eagerness to preach to these people in Rome, why didn't he go there? Let me give you a top tip in reading your Bibles. If there's something in the Bible that's in brackets, please don't skip over it. It's often, often the key. It's there in verse 13. Uh, Paul felt compelled to preach the gospel to the Roman Christians. He said, I, don't, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. So what prevented him? Well, Paul tells us, it's here in Romans 15, it's on the screen for you. It says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to uh, Illyricum, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Why hasn't he come? Because he's just been really busy. Busy doing what? Preaching the gospel. But now he's been no opportunity to preach because of opposition, and so he said, I'll come to Rome and I'll preach the gospel to you as well. You see, what drives this man, Paul, is just this deep love for Jesus and this deep compulsion just to talk about Jesus. Outside the, the Wesley Methodist Chapel in, in London, there's a statue of John Wesley. We learned about him last week. Underneath these are these words. It says, The world was his parish. The world was his parish. No errors off limits. Wherever he went, he just wanted to talk about Jesus. And so I do need to ask you tonight, if you have met Jesus and you've understood that gospel of grace, have you understood that, that debt, that obligation? Have you got that desire and that eagerness through whatever personality God has given you in your own unique way, taking every opportunity just to talk about Jesus? What I find fascinating here in Romans 1 is that Paul doesn't just preach the gospel to unbelievers. He actually keeps on preaching the gospel to believers as well. Did you spot that down in verse 14 and 15? He says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to, to you who are at Rome. Who are the you? The Christians at Rome. He wants to 
to come to Rome to preach the gospel to Christians at Rome. Why do they need to hear the gospel if they're Christians? I hope you've got that, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you need to keep on preaching the gospel to yourself every day. You need to keep on hearing the good news about Jesus. Tell me that story of Jesus again and again and again. Maybe that's a problem in your Christian life is that you've kind of, you've moved on from the gospel. You're so entrenched in difficult doctrines, but you've forgotten this simple truth of a crucified Savior who offers you forgiveness. I have to preach the gospel to myself every day. Wake up in the morning, Paul, remember you're a wretched sinner saved by grace. Paul, you deserve nothing but Christ died for you. And that does transform you. You start the day with Jesus. You end the day with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Compelled to to preach the gospel. Preach it to the unbeliever. Preach it to the believer. Preach it to yourself. It wasn't just a compulsion. What uh, encouraged Paul to keep on preaching? Here's my second C if you want. It was a confidence in the power of the gospel. Why would this little man dedicate his whole life just to keep on talking about Jesus? And the answer is in verses 16 and 17. These are the great thesis of the letter if you want. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it, the gospel, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. How can he keep on talking about Jesus? Because he is utterly convinced, utterly persuaded that this gospel message is the power of God to save all people. Please note in verse 16 that, that Paul doesn't say, I love the gospel. Or I'm so proud of the gospel. He puts it in the negative. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he put it in the negative? I think he puts it in the negative because at times I'm sure that the Apostle Paul, just like you and I, was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. So I can say, you know, I'm not ashamed to be be a mathematician. Because I'm a mathematician. And at times, trust me, it is, I've been very tempted to be ashamed of being a mathematician because it's really geeky and really nerdy. But I'm not ashamed. It's who I am. And Paul is saying here, sure, I've got lots of reasons why I might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. It is preaching that gospel that, that got me in, imprisoned. It was preaching that gospel that got me beaten and laughed at and mocked. It was preaching that gospel that seems so simplistic that a, a man dying on the cross could, could save the world. Sure, there's been many a time I've been tempted to be ashamed of that gospel. But I'm not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Verse 16. Because that gospel, that good news of a crucified saviour, Jesus Christ, born, died, and rose again on high, is the power of God. Literally, it's the dynamite. That's the word, dynamite of God. The words are simple, but that's the power of God to save people. 
when I was at Oxford, uh, we ran a mission, a mission week, week-long mission, lunchtime talks, evening talks. We flew in a, a well-known speaker from the U.S., amazing lunchtime talks, brilliant. We had philosophical debates. We were doing theological gymnastics, but very few people were converted, if anybody. At the end of the week, we sat down as a committee and we reviewed the week. And then it struck us that, you know, we were treating these Oxford University students as intellectuals, which they are. And we had lots of intellectual debates. But the simple message of Jesus Christ, incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and returned, that, that was kind of missing. We're so caught up with the, the philosophies and the theologies that we miss the simple gospel message. And I just wonder whether that is one of our temptations, that the gospel, it seems too simplistic. It sounds too simple. And according to Paul, no, no, this is the power of God that brings life to people. Verse 17, it's for the salvation, for the rescue, for the deliverance. Deliverance from what? From verse 18, from the wrath of God, from the anger of God. I know it seems weak, sometimes ineffective, and sometimes stupid, and you're tempted to be ashamed of this simple truth, but it really is the power of God. How do you know that? See, Paul knew it because he had personally experienced that power of God to transform his life. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a murderer who killed Christians. And when he met Jesus, he, he'd experienced the power of God to save him. Uh, and maybe you are sitting here tonight and you've experienced that power of God to save you. You know what you were like. You know what you now are because of Christ. But it's not just our experience. It is the reality of what that gospel message achieves for us. It's there in verse 17. Uh, for in the gospel, that good news of Jesus, a righteousness from God is revealed. There's been lots of debates on that, on that phrase, righteousness from God. Uh, some people have said it, it is the, the, the rightness of God. You know, that God is right. The gospel reveals that God is just and God is faithful and God is perfect and God is right. And if that is just what the gospel does, just reveal that God is right and perfect, then you and I would be like Martin Luther, sort of living in fear and in dread of, of, of God because he is perfect, he is right, and we're not. The gospel does much more than that. That phrase, the righteousness from God, is actually the gift of God that God gives to you. That righteousness from God is given to you. That's your status, that right standing before God, that acquittal that God gives you because you're in Jesus. See how that's the power of God? That in the gospel, God looks at you, the guilty sinner, and says, no, no, you're not guilty because you're in my son. I see you as being right. I see you as being perfect because you're in Jesus. And that comes, according to verse 17, by faith, by trust, from first to last. It starts with faith, it ends with faith. You start your Christian journey by trusting Jesus, you cross that finish line by trusting Jesus. And the, the result in verse 17, as, as it is written, the righteous will live by 
faith, or literally, he that is right by faith, will live. See, that's the confidence that Paul had. He was utterly persuaded that, that what he preached, what he taught, wasn't just good advice that would make people feel a bit happier about themselves. It wasn't just something to give people purpose in life or meaning to life. It certainly wasn't something that would give people something to do on a Sunday night. He really was convinced and persuaded that that simple gospel message had the power to save people. Power to save from God's wrath, save from their sins, and the power to give them forgiveness and joy and hope and life. And please note in verse 16, it's the power for everyone. No one's excluded. Actually, some people are excluded. He says in verse 16, everyone who, who believes. So who is the gospel not powerful enough to save? Those who don't trust in Christ. The only people excluded are those who don't believe. If you believe, if you trust, the gospel has the power to save you. Now what does this mean for you and I? You're only going to feel compelled to talk about Jesus. You're only going to want to talk about Jesus if you are utterly convinced and confident that that message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen is the only way that people are going to be saved. It does mean, friends, that there's no one that you know who doesn't need to hear about Jesus. I don't care who they are. I don't care how intelligent they are. I don't care what their race or their class or their background or their sexual preference or their academic achievements are. They all need to hear about Jesus. So what does it mean for us to be confident in the power of this gospel? I think really simply it means that we don't just sit in holy huddles as Christians and discuss the finer points of five-point Calvinism. We actually get out there and talk about Jesus. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be that articulate. You just tell them your story about Jesus. Everywhere you go, in the city, in the clubs, on the beaches, in the bars, in King's Cross, in Kirribilli, with everyone you meet, just not being ashamed of the gospel. So I could ask you a question. I could ask you, so are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the gospel? And you go, oh, yes, no. I was tempted to be ashamed this week. I was in a lift at Venice Hospital. I went to visit someone in Venice Hospital. And a lady got into the lift at um, P1 at the parking, and she was kind of flustered. And she just said, oh, I just feel lost. And this older gentleman in the lift with me, he turned and he said, that's why you need Jesus. And I was thinking, that is really cheesy. And then I was thinking, no, but good on you. You put Jesus on the agenda. And all I'm saying, friends, is, is when was the last time that you actually just talked about Jesus? I am not saying that you sit down with six boxes and draw out two ways to live. I'm not saying that you preach at people. I'm just saying that in your everyday life and everyday conversation, you're just talking about your Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're confident 
But as you talk about Jesus and you talk about his life, his death, his resurrection, that is the power of God to save people. One of my favorite stories, I've used it before, you might have heard it, is the story of the, the girl who's on that airplane. Remember that story? Uh, she's flying to America. Uh, she is a, a, a girl in her 20s, but she has learning difficulties, the, the educational age or intellectual age of a, of a seven or an eight-year-old. She's on the aisle seat. There's apparently two businessmen in the middle seat and the window seat. This girl's a Christian. As the plane takes off, she turns to the man next to her and she says, uh, do you brush your teeth? And the man said, yeah, I do brush my teeth. And she said, oh, that's good because otherwise your teeth would rot. And then she says, oh, do you smoke? And the businessman said, oh, no, I don't smoke. Oh, that's good because otherwise your lungs would rot. And then this Christian girl said, do you love Jesus? And the, um, amazingly, the businessman is a Christian. And he said, oh, I do love Jesus. And he said, oh, that's good, otherwise you'd rot. And then she turns to the businessman and said, oh, can you ask the man next to you whether he brushes his teeth? Can you ask the man next to you whether he smokes? And this Christian businessman said that he was so fearful of the next question. <laughs> can you ask the man next to you whether he loves Jesus? And so the Christian businessman asked the man, do you love Jesus? And he didn't love Jesus, but they talked about Jesus for quite a while. And he was so put in his place by this young girl who was just not embarrassed and not ashamed of talking about Jesus. The Apostle Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? He is utterly convinced that people need to hear the good news about a Savior. And that's a challenge for all of us, doesn't it? But if you get that right, that, that, that compulsion, that you, you, you just live each day just to serve Jesus and talk about him because you're confident that people need to hear that message. That, that will rid you of your apathy. That will rid you of your egotism. And it just puts your focus again back onto your Savior. And there's no greater joy than just talking about the person that you love most. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have entrusted us with the most beautiful message that you would love us, forgive us, that you would give us the hope of eternal life because of the death of your son on that cross. Lord, help us to be eager and compelled to talk about Jesus and help us never to be ashamed of it Give us that confidence, Lord, that as we speak about Jesus, you will do your good work in saving souls. I'll set for Jesus' sake.